I am super excited about the next three weeks, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, let's come ready to worship the Lord. And um, even if there's a little bit of smoke, we're going to choke and praise our way through it. No. If it's really bad, obviously, when you show up, you'll notice that we're in here and not out there if it's, if it's super bad. But otherwise, we're going to believe for good weather, some little rain here and there to kind of dampen down the smoke and, uh, and uh, just worship God in the great outdoors. Amen. Amen. So we're really excited. Please be a part of that and be looking forward to that. I want to just take a quick moment and say, uh, first of all, how much I really love and appreciate all of you, those of you who have been kind of reaching out to me, uh, many of you know I lost my mom at the first part of July, and last week uh, my family and I were back in Indiana to kind of have a memorial for her, and many of you reached out and shared your love and prayers for us, and I, I, I really want to thank you for that. And then it was also just really good to know, like last week, Gary Swant, he brought the word, and I watched it myself and fell under conviction by Gary Swant, of all people. No, I'm, te- I'm teasing. I'm teasing. No, he did an outstanding job, and I don't know if you were here for that or if you've yet to have an opportunity to watch that online, but I would encourage anybody to go watch that. I thought he brought a great, great word and something that was challenging in a lot of ways to me, and, I, and uh, so I really appreciate that. Amen. Are you guys ready for the Word of God? All right. Well, let's uh, get ready. We are, I'm continuing on with this whole thing about DIY discipleship, do-it-yourself discipleship, and the concept behind it is what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, when he said to his disciples, these things you see me do, you're going to do, the very same things that I did, and greater than these, because I go to the Father. And so we've been talking about this idea, Jesus says, I want you to do for yourself, or I want you to do exactly what I did. And uh, so as a disciple, it's not, we're not here to just, you know, discipleship isn't just showing up to church and memorizing scripture and knowing your Bible. It is those things, but it's far more than that. We're not just here, we, we are here to listen to God's word, but we're also here to live Christ's life and to do the very things that God did himself, Christ, when he was here in the flesh. And so we've been talking about this. And one of the things that Jesus did, one of the works that Jesus worked was, and probably the greatest work of all, was his work of love. And so I want to talk about that today. Everything that Jesus said, everything that he did, was motivated by the Father's love and His love for every one of us. And so today, if we're going to be Christ's disciples, we are going to have to be disciples who love like Jesus loved. And that's the title of my message today, Loving Like Jesus. And I want to, if you have your Bibles, you may want to open there. The words will come up on the screen but I will be referring to the passage a little bit throughout. And I want to pick up with chapter 13, verse 1. I'm going to kind of skip through uh, different verses here. So it says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them 
to the end. Notice that he loved them to the end. And if we were to read the whole passage, you would see that the very next thing that Jesus did was that he washed the feet of his disciples. He got up from the table. He went around and washed all the feet of all his disciples in that room that day, including the feet of Judas, who would betray him. And then Jesus said these words, picking up at verse 12, or it says in verse 12, So when he had washed their feet, taking his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than uh, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Everybody say, do them. So he's not just showing us what he did. He's saying, what I did is what you do. Amen. And then he goes on in verse 33, and it says, little children. This is Jesus speaking. He said, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I have said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, you said that you have sent your word to heal our disease. Lord, I pray today that the word, the sound of the word would penetrate our hearts. This word about your love and it would heal us, God. That there would be healing in the room today as it relates to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you know this, but love takes work. You say, oh, no way, love, no, it's a feeling, it's exciting, it's wonderful. It is that, but it's also work. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he said to them, he said, I'm remembering without ceasing your work of faith, check it out, your labor of love and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus and in the sight of God our Father. That word labor, where he said your labor of love, literally speaks of a word of an intense kind of work that produces sweat in the original language. And so he's saying, I remember how you put blood, sweat, and tears into your love. I recall that your love moved you to the point where you had to press through hardship and difficulty and uh, in working with one another and just in, in just in general. So true love is hard work. 
Now, it would be great if it was all emotional and easy. I think we could all attest to that. Like when we say about the significant other in our life, oh, we just fell in love. You know, oh, we just fell in love. Well, let's just play on that for just a moment. Let's say you did fall in love, and it was an emotional uh, ride, and it, was, it felt good, and it just felt wonderful. Well, you probably discovered that in your relationship, you didn't get too far down the road where you, even though you may have fallen in love, you realize you're going to have to fight for your love, not fight your love. We don't do that, right? But fight for it. And love is a wonderful feeling, but you're going to have to realize that you're going to have to work at it to keep it wonderful. Oh, come on now. I'm going to preach this one way or another. Amen. Love is not only hard work, but it can be potentially hazardous to your heart. Because when you put yourself out there to love, let me tell you, you're eventually going to get hurt in the process. Like the old song says, love hurts. Love wounds, love scars, love mars, any heart, not strong enough to take a lot of pain, right? Remember that, the Everly Brothers? Or Nazareth, if you're a rock and roller. Love can be painful. And this is why many of us become guarded in our love. And we fall into the trap that Jesus warned about when he said, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And a person that has grown cold in their love is a person who finds it hard to love others. And it's a person also who oftentimes will only love those who love them. And a person who only loves those who love them is a person who has become cold in their love and indifferent in their love. And Jesus warned us about that. He said, don't fall into that last day's mentality and disposition where you become cold in your love. And so we need to understand today that if we're going to be Christian and if we're going to be true disciples of Christ, we're going to have to be people of love. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you're going, I want you to love, I want you to love as I have loved you. Man, that's a high watermark. He didn't just say, I want you to do your best to love and I'll, you know, kind of sweep all the junk under the rug and kind of dismiss those areas where you're not too loving. No, he says, just like I loved you, I want you to love others. That's the way I want you loving your husbands, your wives, your children, your neighbor, people who don't think like you, act like you, or even want to be around you. As I have loved you, that's the watermark, that's the, that's the goal, that's the target. The target isn't, I'm going to try to love like Tim loves. Listen, if you're going to try to love like I'm loving, you're already in the back of the pack. Because I need to get my act together. 
You don't measure your love or your ability to love by me. It's all by Christ. Amen. Come on. Amen. Can I get a good amen out there? And so if we're going to do what Jesus did, that's what disciples do, then we're going to have to love like Jesus loved. And so today what I want to talk about is I, I want to talk about the power of Christ's love. And here in a moment we'll get to the practicalities of it. But first, let's just focus in on the power of Christ's love. The love of Jesus is a powerful, transformative thing. And can I just say to you today, you and I cannot give what we are not receiving or what we are not believing. If I have yet to really embrace the love of God for me, or believe in the love of God for me, I'm not going to be able to give his love. I can't give what I don't have. But if I have it, if I believed it, if I'm receiving it, then I'm going to be able to step in it, to walk it out in my everyday life, and not necessarily perfectly. We'll fall, we'll stumble, but we'll get back up and we'll keep going forward. Because I'm believing it, and I'm receiving it in my life. And so I want to talk about this. I, I, th I think we just need to take a moment or two and just remind ourselves of the love of Jesus for me. That first of all, his love for me is unconditional. The love of God for every one of us in this, in, in this room here this morning and watching out there online is this. God loves you without any condition placed on it. You know what that means? You don't deserve his love. There's nothing that you can do to earn his love. He loves you because he is love. His love for you is not based on your actions, on your behavior, on how good you are versus how bad you weren't. His love for you is based on his nature. God is love. Therefore, God loves every one of us unconditionally. I don't deserve his love, and there's nothing I can do to earn his love. He loves me. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? And we just need to get this in, in our spirit. Now, the Greek word for the word love is agape, and the, it, there's other Greek words for it, but the, the main one that's used the most in the Bible is the word agape, and that's the God-like kind of love. Because agape love, in its original form, is a voluntary love, which says, I choose to love you, on the one hand, it's a voluntary love where God says, I choose to love you, but it's also involuntary where it says, I can't help but love you. Like, God says, I want to love you, and I will love you. In spite of you, in spite of your actions, in spite of your behavior, in spite of your pedigree, in spite of your past I choose to love you, and I just can't help it. I just, that's what I want to do, is I want to love you. That's unconditional love. 
He loves us because he is love. And I, I love what Paul said in Romans 5. This is our proof text. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before I ever got my act together, God loved me. And even after I came to Jesus and I still didn't have my act together, God loved me. And when I started getting my act together, and then I would still stumble, God loved me. It's a settled deal. It's complete. Just like it says here, he loved them to the end. It didn't mean he came to the end of his love. He says he loved them to the fullest extent. Never backed off of his love. God's love for you is unconditional. But what happens to us is that our behavior sometimes comes with conditions and consequences. Right? You sow to the flesh, of the flesh you reap corruption. But here's what happens. When we're experiencing the consequences of our poor choices, we sometimes equate that feeling as if God doesn't love me now because I didn't do the right thing. No, what you're getting is consequences. Just like a parent with their children. Why does a parent set a boundary for their children? Because they love them. They say, no, you're not going to do that. And if you do that, there's going to be discipline. Does that mean that you don't love them because you have to enact discipline? No, it means you love them. You're trying to preserve their life. Has no... What, whatever you may be experiencing of the consequence of choices in your life, don't confuse that with God's unconditional love. He loves you without condition. Hallelujah. Here, here's another thing. He loves you and me. His love is unchanging. His love toward you and me will never change. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now, if God is love, and he does not change, then his love is unchanging. Does that make sense? Two plus two is four. No. God is love, right? He does not change. His love for you is unchanging. In other words, let me just say it this way. Jesus doesn't wake up one day and just says, you know, I just don't love you anymore. He, just does, he, does, he never does that. Now, you know, we kind of do that sometimes. Over the process of time, things build up. Things get under our skin. And we start feeling like, I just don't really love that person. We change sometimes. We allow things. You know, the Lord is not whimsical or emotionally driven 
or circumstantially pressured by anything. His love is steadfast. The Hebrew word for love is hesed, which means it is loyal and steadfast. It's a loyal and steadfast love. God's love for you will never change. He will never wake up someday and just say, you know, I just don't love you like I used to love you. He loves you to the fullest extent that you can be loved. And if you don't get this, you can't give this. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.13, even if we're faithless, he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. Even if you'll go back, uh, Sherry, if you would, to Malachi, when the Lord said, I'm the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. You know what the Lord was saying when he said, That's, this is why you're not consumed. Israel was rebellious to the core. And God loved them. He chose them. He promised them. All, these are the sons of Jacob. These are my people. I have an everlasting love for them. I have a plan and a purpose for them for eternity. And he says, I don't change. You're always changing. You're always rebelling. But my love for you will never change. This is why you're not destroyed. They may have been disciplined. They may have gone through the consequences of their rebellion. But he said, I didn't consume you. I didn't let anything consume you. My love kept you, my people. Whew, come on now. That's good news. We need to get this. Let me give you one more thing about how Christ loves us. He loves us unconditionally, unchangeably, and he also, his love for us is unquenchable. unquenchable. Check this out. The Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. For love is as strong... That's not it. Listen to what I... That's not the scripture. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. L listen to these words. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Is that it? Oh, hey, that's it. Sorry. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Jesus' love for you and me will never fail, even if I do. Isn't that good news? His love will never die, even if my love for him does. Remember Peter, he went to the Lord on that very same day that we read about in chapter 13. And when Jesus said, I'm going away and you can't come, Peter said, Lord, I want to go with you. And Lord, this, things don't have to go the way that you're saying they're going to go. I'll fight for you. I'll stand for you. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, listen, you don't even know by this time tomorrow you will have denied me three times. But I have already prayed for you, Peter. My love for you is unquenchable.
even when you and I mess up, Jesus, it doesn't, it doesn't put his love out. It's like a fire that burns. He has a passion for every one of you. And see, when we get this on the inside of us, his love is unconditional. His love, does, it will never change concerning us. And we can't even do anything to put his love for us out. That doesn't mean that it's okay to live how you want to live. This, isn't, this truth isn't an excuse for bad behavior, but it is a truth for when I blow it. And I think I'm looking at a bunch of people who have blown it. And you're looking at someone who has blown it. Amen. I bet you didn't come to church thinking he's going to encourage me and tell me how much I've blown it. I know you have because I have. But his love is steadfast. Amen. If you know this, you can, you can only give away what you believed and what you received. So let's talk about, that's the power of his love. Let's talk about the practice of Christ's love. Jesus taught his, one day, uh, somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, your physicality. And he said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so when he said, love God, he implied that you love God and your neighbor with all your mind, mentally, with all, uh, with all your heart, emotionally, with all your soul, willfully, and with all your strength, physically. And so Jesus said, he really painted the picture that love is not theoretical, it's not just this kind of feeling, this kind of butterflies in your belly, this kind of emotionally driven thing. Love is very practical. And in fact, if you want to feel emotion about it, you say, well, I, I, you know, I can't do things because I don't have a love for it. Well, if you want to develop a love, then you start, you do it, you put love in motion, and then the emotion will come. Sometimes in a marriage when you feel like you've lost that feeling, you've lost that loving feeling, I keep coming up with rock songs here today, uh, you've lost that loving feeling, well here's how you get that feeling back, you just start loving them with all your strength. And then the heart will catch up again. Amen. That's how it works. Jesus said, he didn't say love people when you feel it. He said love them. And what comes after that will be the feeling. Amen. How do we love practically? Well, Learning from Jesus, here are some things to love. We are to love sacrificially, where we serve others. Everybody say sacrifice. Remember what Jesus did? The Bible said in chapter 13, verse 1, it says he loved them 
to the end, right? The very next thing that happens, we didn't read it, but it's right there if you read the passage for yourself. The very next thing that happens, he gets up from his position at the center of the table. He takes off his clothes. He puts on a servant's robe. Takes up a servant's towel. Gets down at the feet of all of his disciples. Grown men, by the way, not, you know, men. Hairy toes and all. And he gets down there and he washes their feet. And he said, he was demonstrating what he came to do. And he said in another place, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he lived a life of service to bless and to build up other people. He was going to serve them by dying on the cross. Even to this day, the, the Lord, think of it, the Lord of glory, Jesus, the King of the universe, is still serving us in many ways because the Bible said he ever lives making intercession for us. Amen. Come on, church. I don't know what's going on, but let's just keep our focus on the Lord. And so... Uh, to love means that we have to sacrifice. And Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He says that we're to live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Here's what love does. Love if you really love, you're going to sacrifice your time. Amen. You're going to sacrifice your talents. You're going to sacrifice your treasure for the betterment of other people. In a very practical way, let me just ask the question, not condemningly. What are you doing in serving people? How are you actively today engaging the, and letting people experience the love of God by serving others? Where are you serving in the kingdom of God? Where are you serving in the community of, that you live in? Where are you, you know, church, being, a, being the church and being in the movement today of Christ is more than just showing up to church. It's being the church. And everybody needs to find a place where they can wash feet. Because that's love. And there are different ways to do that in the house of God beyond the house of God, in the community that we live. There's all kinds of ways that we can actively be washing feet. And love will not, if you have the love of God on the inside of you, we cannot sit there and suppress that love and only just show up. We've got to also sign up and serve. Amen. So to speak. Amen. What did, he, what did he say? The pleasing aroma to God? The pleasing aroma to God? 
is when you give up for the sake of others. What that smell that gets God's attention is when you and I are actively serving in some form or fashion for the blessing of other people. Can I get a good amen? Here's another way we can practically love. We can practically love compassionately, restoring broken lives. Oftentimes you'll read throughout the Gospels that will say something about Jesus and he was moved with compassion. And as he was moved with compassion, he did something. See, that's what compassion does. Compassion doesn't, you just don't have a, oh, I'm just, oh, that's just so, oh, that's just terrible. And then you kind of close your eyes and walk away. Compassion moves you to alleviate the suffering. That's what compassion does. And so when Jesus was moved with compassion, when he saw the multitudes hungry, he found a way to feed them. When he came across the blind man and he had compassion on him, he opened up his blinded eyes. He touched a leper and the leprosy was gone. He saw a demonized child and he delivered him. All of this was motivated by compassion. He said he had compassion. There was, you know, he, uh, there was a, a woman who lost her son and he was dead. And, and she, he saw the woman weeping over the lost son. Of course she was sad and mournful. But the Bible said Jesus having compassion on her healed the son. And what I'm saying to you and I, you say, well, I can't heal disease and I can't heal sickness and I can't raise the dead. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, these things you see me do, you shall do. But we've got to have some compassion in our heart. Some of the reason why we don't move, some of the reason why we don't do things, and I'm speaking of myself right here too, is that we just don't have that loving compassion. We're almost immovable sometimes. And compassion moves us. It moves us to do something. And so, where are you and I today expressing the loving compassion of God in a world around us? I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6. It says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? This is God speaking to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. When he said, this is the fast I have chosen, the religious leaders were saying, look at us, look how holy we are. We observe all the fasts. We observe all the religious festivities. And God's like, well, that's good. You show up and you fast, okay? Well, here's the fast that gets to my heart that you have compassion enough to deliver and heal and set free people who are hurting and broken and destitute. You want my attention? Have some compassion. Show some mercy. And church, this is all of our responsibility. This isn't just for the people who get paid to do it. By the way, everybody here gets paid to be in the ministry. You just may happen to get yours from Walmart or from your construction company or whatever. But everybody here is in full-time ministry. I just want to remind you of that. You just, your stream of pay 
comes from different things other than from the church, so to speak. We need to love also, these are practical ideas, evangelistically, seeking to win the lost. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. How did God seek to evangelize the world? Motivated by love. How do you win the lost? How do we bring others who are far from God, who don't know God, who don't want anything to do with God? How can we have any effect on them? Here's how it happens. By love. Amen. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus one day and he said, Lord, what must I do to have everlasting life? See, that's what the world wants. They don't always want to live for God, but they want to live beyond here in a better place. So Jesus said, well, you know what the commandments say. You've got to observe this and do this because this man was legalistic that way. And he said, Lord, I've done all of that. And here's what the Bible said. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, Here's something that's gonna, here's something that's gonna keep you from receiving my love. Because he saw the man was very wealthy, and he would never let go of that to receive God. And the Lord said, You need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the man walked away sad because he had so much wealth. And he wanted to, he wanted to have a little of God and a whole lot of wealth. But here's how he walked away. He walked away loved. Now listen, I'm talking again to myself. We've got to stop cursing the darkness and start loving the lost. We have to have the love of Jesus on the inside of us, a kind of love that reaches people with the love of God. This is all of our responsibility. And we have to love people who are on the opposite side of the aisle politically. We have to love people of different culture. We have to love people of different ideology and even theology. <laughs> Amen. This is the way Jesus came into the world. For God so loved the world. Every one of us. All of us. Right where we were. Before we ever got things where it needed to be. And we never have really. But I mean, while we were still sinners. That's where he loved us. And that's how we love the world. And, that's, and so every, you say, you know, Jesus said, you know, we need to love our neighbor. You say, well, who is my neighbor? Everybody on planet Earth. Whatever their disposition, whatever their theology, whatever their philosophy, whatever their political bent, everyone is your neighbor. Let's love them. Amen. Come on. You guys are really quiet this morning. Right now, anyway. 
We need to love. Here's another way we can love. These are practical ways that we can demonstrate love like Jesus loved financially. You can love with your pocketbook. You can love people with your money. And you, whose face is on the $20 bill? Jackson, Andrew Jackson? You can love people with an Andrew Jackson and not a George Washington. No. One of the ways that we love people is through financial giving. Again, I'm not talking, well, I gave at the office like I gave at the church, let them do it, you know, type thing. I'm talking about on a practical, everyday kind of lifestyle, you and I, me and you, Monday through Monday, you know, all, every day. Did you know that Jesus and his disciples carried a money box? Did you know this, that Jesus' ministry was supported financially? Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, go read it for yourself. His ministry was supported, and by the way, by some very wealthy women. Praise God for the women. And it says it right in the Word of God, that his ministry was supported financially. And they carried resources, monies, gold, silver, whatever it was of the time. They carried that, and we know that they paid their way in some respects to do different things. And, and we also know, by the way, from John chapter 13, if you go look at it and read it for yourself, I think it's verse 29, where when Jesus identified Judas as his betrayer, and he gave him that morsel of bread, and he said to Judas, go and do quickly whatever it is you plan to do. And the Bible said at that moment, when he took that morsel of bread that Jesus handed to him, the other disciples thought that he was telling Judas to go ahead and go pay for the dinner that they all were sharing there or to go and help some poor people that Jesus had. So we know that Jesus' ministry was only, he was supported financially, but also he himself gave financially to people who were in need. So the Lord's not requiring of you and me something he didn't do himself. Come on. And so one of the ways that you and I can show our love and demonstrate our love is to loosen up our pocketbook and be a little bit more thoughtful and generous to certain situations. And you say, well, what if I give it and they go do this with it? Well, if you give it out of the goodness of your heart, the Bible says, he that lends to the poor lends to God. You gave it to God. If they misuse it or abuse it, that's not on you. And do people misuse it and abuse it? You bet your bottom dollar they do. I've been guilty of going through the checkout and buying something I didn't need. Come on now. I didn't need that Reese's peanut butter cup, but I got it anyway. Jesus taught us to be givers. He said, when you give, when you do it. He didn't say, if you get around to it. He says, when you do it. Don't be like the hypocrites who like to make a show. They walk in the room like they're just, you know, 
flinging money everywhere. Look at me. Look at what all I'm doing. He said, no, you give it in private, and God will reward you. The Lord will take care of you. I've even heard preachers say, I don't think I've been bold enough, but you can give your way out of debt. You can give your way out of lack. You, and I think that's probably true. Amen. There, I said it. Here's another way we can give practically. We can give practically in a gracious way. And I'm talking about the grace of forgiving those who offend you. Jesus said in one place, it's impossible to go through life and not be offended. Has anybody learned that yet? You'll never live life and, and you'll, you'll hardly make it through a, maybe a, for sure a year, maybe even every couple of months or maybe every week without in some form or fashion getting offended in your spirit. But Paul told us, if you remember, and I don't think the scripture is going to come up, but it, he said love bears all things. Listen to this. Love believes all things. Listen to those words. Love believes all things. Now, I didn't say that. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. He said, love believes. You know what he's saying when he's talking about that? He's not talking theoretically. He's talking relationally. Come on, hang with me here. Is the word of God the word of God? I mean, the word of God is true, right? I may not always be true, but the word of God is true. So God's word says true love, a true agape love, relationally speaking, believes. And what he's saying there specifically is that love, true love, believes the best even when people are at their worst. Man, I got to get there. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I want to get there because that's how Jesus loves. When it says love believes, it means I'm believing for the best in them even when they're at their worst. And man, are they at their worst. Amen. Love is... If you're going to love graciously in a forgiving sense... It's, it's really gonna, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to really do it before you feel it. I know you know this already. I'm just reminding you. Amen. Here's how you do it. What did Jesus say? Matthew chapter 5, verses 43, 44. You have heard that it was said, you love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That wasn't God's word. That was pharisaical commentary to God's word. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus said, but I say. How many of you know when Jesus starts talking, you better listen? Right? Jesus said, I say, love your enemies. How do you do that? Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We're not done. There's more. 
Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, he said, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice meaning, I'm going to get you back. And he says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So here's what it means to love graciously and forgivingly in our life. You bless people. You know what the word bless is in the Greek language? It's it's the same word that we get our word eulogy from. And every time you go to a funeral, someone will stand up and they will eulogize the person who's passed. And what that means is, hopefully, in most cases I think this is true, they talk about all the good things they did. Now that they're gone, let's speak well of them. And what that word means, if I'm going to step into a forgiving spirit, that means I need to eulogize those who hate me. I need to speak well of them. We'll take our time here. I need to bless them by speaking good things about them even though they haven't been very nice to me. Maybe. And it also means that I do good to them. That means, and if, you, and if we were to read on in, that, um, in the Matthew passage where Jesus said, bless them and do good to them and pray for them, and he went on in the next verse after that. I didn't have it up there, but he says, because the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And so he's saying what God blesses indiscriminately, good and bad people. So if God does that for good and bad people, how much more should you and I be doing that? Right? So you do good. You say, well, what's good? Well, maybe ask yourself, would God do this? Would this be like something God would do? And do good to them. See, what you're doing is you're putting feet to your forgiveness. Amen. And then he said, pray for them. You know what the act of prayer is? It's stepping into a gap and making up a hedge. See, people sometimes behave badly because they've got issues and they've got problems. And we can fuss and fight with them over that, and we tend to do that. Or we could step into the gap prayerfully and make up the hedge and ask God to do something in their heart. And in the process, when you're praying for them, Something happens in you, and you think they changed when really it was probably you. Amen. You started seeing seeing things differently, feeling things differently, and you thought, man, my prayers are powerful. I really moved them. And God's like, no, you don't even know. You don't have a clue. I've moved you. Amen. And then he said, what did Paul say? If you go back, Sherry, to Ephesians passage, um, that last part of it where he says, uh, be kind. He says, and be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. 
You know what the word kind, the opposite of that word is harsh, sharp, or bitter. Anybody ever run into a prickly person? You can't touch them, you can't get near them without like getting poked. And if you say, no, I've never, you're probably that person. No. Here's, what, here's what's going on with the prickly. I love uh, Madeline. She comes to church here. Madeline. Madeline calls prickly people prickly pears. And, uh, but here's, here's the issue with a prickly person. They're usually bitter over wounded experiences. And so what is the greatest love, what is the greatest change agent in the world is love and especially love that is refuses to be offended even by the worst of us I'm on a journey there I'm not all the way there but I want to get there I want to be that kind of person I want to be a disciple of Jesus I want to be able to do the things that Jesus did but I've got to be able to, I've got to be willing and ready to love like Jesus loved. Not only in my home, with my marriage, and my children, in my church, with some of the people sometimes that I sit on the opposite side of the room of, so I'm not near them. I know that doesn't happen in the first service. It only happens in the second service. No. But... We've got to step up our game in the love of God. Amen. Let's not be cold. Let's not be indifferent. Let's love like Jesus loved. And I believe we're going to see, we're going to do things like Jesus did them. Amen. Let's stand together. Um, do we have prayer folks here today? Let's have them come up. Today we've talked about love. We talked about things related to relationships. We talked about forgiveness and bitterness and, you know, things like that. And this isn't certainly indicative of everybody that comes up here because if you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer about your job or something like that, I mean, you can come up here and be prayed for. We just want you to know that the altars are open here. We believe in that and you can come and any one of these men and women would be willing to pray with you uh, as a couple or, or individually. But if we've talked, if we've touched on something concerning love and it, it touched a nerve in your heart in some way relationally and you, you, you'd like to, you know the Bible says and you don't have, you're not, nobody has to come up here and confess anything, but it, the, it does say that it, if you confess your need or if you confess what's going on there's a healing that happens. You know, there's a healing available. And God can restore. And so, whatever your need, whatever it is, you can come this way. Come to any one of these folks and they would be willing to pray with you. I'm going to pray a prayer dismissal. If you want prayer, while I'm doing that, you could just make your way up here. And uh, once I'm done, you guys are you're willing to, you're, you're free to go. So, Father, thank you for your presence here today. We love you, Jesus. And we want your word and your message of love to penetrate our hearts in such a way that we are that 
that not only do we believe and receive your love for us, but God, that we begin to flow in a grace of love in a world around us. I pray, Lord, for a fresh baptism of love. Would you just raise your hands with me right now like a, like a willing vessel to receive the love of God? Just, Lord, pour out your love. I know, Lord, that when we were converted, you poured out your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But God, we pray for a fresh baptism of love today so that we can be the loving men and women that you've called us to be in a world of hate and discord and division. God, we need to be motivated by love. And we need to have a momentum of love, God, that, that, that runs with the vision, God, that runs with the vision that you have for these times that we live in. So we receive it now. We receive healing too, God, right now in Jesus' name in all of our relationships. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, great day.